Joining us now is our Mankato School District 77 superintendent. His name is Paul Peterson. Dr. Paul Peterson, welcome to the show. Karen, it's always great to be with you, and uh, here we are, and it's and it, and it has instantly turned into winter, hasn't it? It isn't it amazing. <laughs> uh, my son, who is 14, who is on the East High School ski team is so thrilled because, you know, up till now they've been doing what they call the dry land practice. Dry and land. what fun is that? The dry land is fun for like a day and a half. And then, <laughs> I know. You're around your friends. You get to get a few workouts in. Similar in the spring when baseball and softball practices are inside. You can only take so many grounders off a gym floor, and yes. and uh, you got to get outside. So I think he's really excited. I know they've been making snow, so hopefully they'll get on the slopes pretty soon. Excellent. Now I know you guys have been making some big decisions now because as we, you know, the COVID thing has not gone away. <laughs> Uh, my kids have been getting, on a fairly regular basis, uh, notes from the school district that Good. say, you know, your child has been in close contact or, you know, in the same, I don't know if it means it's the same room or next to the desk. I'm not sure. Maybe you can yep. explain that. Yeah, you bet. And so you should be aware of this and also watch for these symptoms. So how do you decide that, when to send a note? Uh, because, you know, we hadn't gotten any for a long time. Then all yep. of a sudden, lately, we've gotten a bunch. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, those notes have probably increased for your family and for families mm -hmm. across the district simply right. because we have more students uh, testing positive and we have more students uh, who are, and their parents, thankfully, are calling in saying, hey, um, our student's going to be out for a few few days because uh, he or she has COVID. And so when, when we know that, uh, we do our very best to do contact tracing to figure out who would be considered a close contact, you know, within six feet for an extended period of time, masks off um, um, or not being worn, you know, continuously in an, in an effective way. And so then those notes go home. It's an, it's called a notification letter. Um, it's not telling parents that their kids have COVID. It's just saying someone near your student um, is infected. And then we provide to them the decision tree from the Department of Health and some recommendations about getting your own students tested, uh, making sure that we're mo they're monitoring symptoms. And most importantly, if kids are sick, don't come to school. Stay home. And, and that's really been the challenge in the last several weeks now is we have students who have been identified as close contacts. And the recommendation is for those students to quarantine. But uh, for a lot of different reasons, kids just are well, continuing to come to school. A lot of parents work. They work. They can't find child care. I mean, that's been an issue, I think, for a lot of folks, too. And, and it's better, I think. I know my children have been do doing so much better than they did. Distance learning was very tough. It was hard to harder to keep them motivated. And so I believe they slid back. Yeah. And so they're back in school. So I think parents want to keep them in school. And as does the schools and the principals and the teachers. I mean, we've been talking since the beginning of the school year about uninterrupted in-person learning. And it's the uninterrupted, I mean, it's it's the interruption of learning that we experienced last year mm -hmm. with kids in and out and um, distance learning, vert or hybrid learning, in-person. It was just so rocky. And so we've been, tr we, we've, we've done our very, very best to communicate with parents. Hopefully they're able to make accommodations. We know that some haven't been able to. Yeah. Unfortunately, the data within our counties and, and in our school district isn't looking too hot. Uh, we've got a lot of infection and um, our local public health folks have really asked us to take a hard look at what our current practices are and if we can make some changes to help keep this out of our schools. It's, it's tough. And so now the 
school district, uh, public school officials are considering making quarantining mandatory and hiring more teachers to facilitate distance learning for quarantine students. So talk about that. That was just a headline in today's Free yeah, Press. Right, right. So last night we had a school board meeting, really good meeting. Um, we're able to share a lot of um, of our thinking and the information that we're, that we're pulling from the state and our local officials about infection in Mankato. And um, from the beginning of the school year to now, when students have been identified as close contact, and it's important, Karen, for us to just to clarify, kids who are vaccinated are not close contacts. So students who have uh, are fully vaccinated who may still get the letter, say, hey. Right, because uh, we did, and yep, our kids are vaccinated. Yep, so, so somebody near your student um, has COVID. Um, students who are fully vaccinated are not required to quarantine, and that's one of the benefits of getting vaccinated is that they will continue to have uninterrupted in-person learning all the time. Um, but one of the things that we talked about our school with our school board last night is we're getting um, a lot of input, input from local um, health providers that rather than simply asking parents to keep their kids at home um, to quarantine, unvaccinated kids, it's really students who continue to come to school after they've been in close contact then they develop symptoms, right. then they go get a test, then they get tested as positive. Meanwhile, they've likely infected other students in our schools. And so we did talk to the board last night about the idea of when a student, an unvaccinated student, is identified as a close contact, to require them to stay home uh, until they can. I don't know how you monitor that. <laughs> how do you know unless people are being honest with you? Because, I mean, that is a hard thing. It is, it, and, it, and it puts a tremendous amount of uh, pressure on our health services offices. Right. Um, quarantine was required last year. Um, as the pandemic started and as we navigated our way through the 2021 school year, students who were close contacts and no one was vaccinated last year right and so in that environment we were able to do our darndest to track students contact their parents um so that's that's a really big important if we would make that shift and we we talked to the board last night that that if we do that we'd be looking at january Uh, we'd get through the next couple weeks take that holiday break and then on january 3rd when we come back we would institute this new quarantine requirement um, but then also couple that with some accelerated testing. There is a, a, a testing um, plan out there where kids can um, be quarantined for seven days, get a negative PCR test, and then come back to school. That's quite a bit um, shorter. It's actually, in, it's, it cuts quarantine in half because some of our students have been, who are quarantining are out for 14 days. And that's a lot of time to miss school. It's a lot of school time. It's a lot of learning time. Right. Which then, that's that's a part of the other element that I know that the paper covered today is that we would want to look at providing a more robust online option for kids who are out of school. And that was tough for my kids. The online stuff was, it was new territory. Maybe it's getting better because they're from more familiar with it. Maybe the teachers are getting better with it. I don't know, but I just still think that's a tough thing for some, some individuals. It is, and, and I think that when online learning, now we're talking a year and a half ago when everybody went online. Think about not only all the kids were online, but all the teachers. Right. And teachers' tech skills, teachers' comfort uh, comfort level (laughs) with online learning, online platforms are all over the place. And so if, if we look at providing more online learning for students who now we would be requiring to quarantine, we'd really be looking for our staff members or staff members within our community or within the state that uh, have experience with uh, teaching online 
and are comfortable with interacting with kids and families in that environment. Because what we don't want to do is require quarantine and have us and say, okay, now you can't come to school for seven, let's say seven, seven days plus the, the eighth day with the test um, and not provide them with any, not just any education, but we want, we want it to be high quality. Right. And mm-hmm. um, as, as we've been saying in the office, stapling together 25 worksheets and sending it home and saying, do it, do it. That's uh, that's pretty low level stuff. And uh, we want to make sure that it's more interactive and synchronous with, with a real life maps teacher. But I also know the issue is is teachers because I know uh, folks. We've got one of our volunteers who used to be a substitute. Says I'm I'm older. I'm not going to substitute anymore. So I know there's a shortage of substitute teachers. I know you've got shortages of staff uh, because teachers are out sick as well. And I've heard even that there's some people that are just normal staff that are having to staff rooms as you know that sort of thing. And so that's an issue too and, and how do you deal with that because you know you've already got some really big class sizes big 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 uh big challenges within public schools and really across all of the labor sectors in our region uh, we surveyed staff uh, last month and asked them you know tell us about the challenges of this school year and um, trying to figure out if there are some things that we can do concrete things that we can do to help our our folks through a, a challenging and difficult year top on the list for for nearly everyone across our system was the impact that is that the staff shortage mm-hmm. uh, sub shortage sub teachers sub custodians sub cooks sub paraprofessionals we have so many positions i think we talked about that last month we yes. have so many positions posted right. um, full-time positions let alone getting people to come in for a day or two and so you're right it's we we want to um, p- potentially move to more, more online options for kids we can't ask our current teachers who are teaching 150 kids a day, you know, at our middle and high school levels, and now say, oh, by the way, we need you to pick up another online class. We don't want to do that. We also don't want to do that to our elementary school teachers. So we know how challenging it's going to be for us to go now back out into the labor market and f- and find teachers um, who may find this to be an interesting um, way to uh, to work and, and to teach. But challenges all all around and uh, it seems to so much of this comes back to the fact that there are just so many people um, that systems are in need of hiring right now. Now another news headline that we've seen in the past few days is more Minnesota schools are extending winter break schedules. Uh, Multiple districts have added days to their winter break calendars to address the ongoing impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. Some big ones too like Anoka, Hennepin, Duluth, Rochester, St. Cloud, uh, St. Paul uh, are some of the, the, the that are doing that. Right. So how about Mankato? Has that been a discussion or something you might consider as extending the winter break schedule yeah, so, because of that? Right. So our, our school board has not had a conversation about extending um, the winter break, which is which is now coming up pretty darn fast. Right. I mean, it's right around the corner. <laughs> it, it really is. Um, and I do know that some districts, and this is where I would land, that if we have COVID-related reasons, if we have infection, if we can't find staff to run our buildings, or if we have students in classes that, or our class sizes are so low because so many students are out, um, are, are out either with COVID or quarantining, I think that is when it would make the most sense for us to engage in conversation if we want to alter our calendar. What we also want to be really, really sensitive to is the impact that changing a school calendar has on families. And so I do know, and it's and it's for very good reasons in some districts, they're talking about the fact that it's been a challenging year. It's been stressful for teachers. It's been stressful for support staff. And that, that's all true. Um, 
changing the calendar to then put that stress back on parents to say, hey, we know that some of you are working and you've got care challenges, but we're going to need you to figure that out. We, we, we think maybe there are better ways to support our staff at this time. But, you know, I would also say uh, never say never. We, we, it changes by the date. It, it really does. You know, here we are in mid-December and we feel like we're we're hanging on. Um, hanging on isn't overly inspirational, but <laughs> no, <laughs> um, but but at the same time we we do continue, and I appreciate you saying the pandemic is not over. We're still seeing the the effects of that in our schools. Um, we're seeing it in our kids and their families, but we're also seeing it with our staff. And we do need to make sure that we're providing as much regular instruction and regular school days. Again, five days a week. Um, in person, uninterrupted, at, at, to the best of our ability. So, but again, never say never. I think that the calendar is always one of those topics that people are open to um, having a dialogue about. And Heather, I've heard teachers say that they've been working 60, 70, 80 hours because of, you know, the online stuff that they had to prepare and mm-hmm. continue to do. So there's probably concern about burnout, I would guess. There is, not with, without a doubt. And when I'm visiting schools, I'm in our schools every single week, and there isn't a, a day goes by where in dialogue with our staff that that topic doesn't come out. People saying things like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, when, when when might there be some relief? And what really that is, there's so much compounding related to the pandemic, students not being in school. But then when they are back, as you were mentioning with your own children, um, our students came back different. You know, they, they needed to accelerate their learning. Mm-hmm. And the sorts of things that we are typically teaching in December aren't necessarily, you know, in our pacing guides, we're not necessarily in the middle of December right now. Um, there are have been some gaps, academic gaps for sure, but there's also behavioral gaps, oh, yeah. expectations, conduct gaps that the most effective teachers aren't letting those things go by. They understand they got to stop what they're doing and have to teach, reteach, and uh, that takes time, and, and that also adds to a lot of stress and burden. For sure, and it's it's something that w- nobody can predict, and I think that unpredictability is part of the stress of that. How about mental health? How are, are the students doing, and how are the teachers doing with the mental health part? Are you seeing more people coming to counselors? Are the counselors becoming overwhelmed, or what's happening in that arena? Yep, I would say that mental health is, again, one of those big areas that um, – have have proven to be very challenging and i would say it's and i appreciate you saying it it's on both ends it's students so our counselors are seeing kids constantly they're also making a tremendous amount of referrals for kids and their families the challenge with that is the same the, the same challenges we're having with labor is happening in the mental health world oh yeah in some cases with mental health you can't get an appointment till months out right right and that's dangerous because if you've got somebody on the edge i mean you need to see somebody. Absolutely. And so our students are and our families are feeling that. And I would also say right there with them is staff. And that the, the mental health of our staff, we, we understand that our teachers have to physically be with us, but they also mentally have to be in a good state of mind. Um, we've been doing a lot of work in our schools. We have em- employee health promotions. We've got a lot of support networks in place. But there's always more that we're feeling we want and need to do. To provide support because um, it's one thing to say we know you can do it you got to stick with it you know these are tough times um, you're the best person for this role that <laughs> that sometimes can only go so far I mean some people do need additional support thankfully the schools within Mankato area public schools um, every one of our buildings really functioned as a 
um, it's they're they're functional systems, and so they they have each other's backs. They know when their colleagues are struggling, and I can't say enough about how many times and how supportive other staff members have been to their colleagues. They see someone having a rough time. They they see that they are out because maybe they're caring for one of their one of their children, sure. and they're stepping up and they're subbing during their prep and they're staying late to help prepare materials. There's so much of that work that goes unseen, but we know it's happening because school continues to, to function. And we're hoping, and we're pretty confident of this, that our kids in our system aren't um, aren't being negatively affected by the stress and burden that our teachers are, and our staff members are really feeling. I know a lot of colleges now are not requiring the ACTs or SAT scores anymore because of the the difficulty of the the year. I know when my son Grant took his, I think he took the ACT one, you know, that was after COVID. So Mm -hmm. there was no preparation, nothing. But he thankfully did very well, despite not that. But I think a lot of other kids had trouble with that. And so is that something uh, do you think we're going to continue to see um, in terms of kids being prepared or wanting to move on to, to college and having trouble maybe getting there? Yeah, our, our counseling offices and our high schools especially, really all of our schools, but our high schools especially keep a really close eye on the 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 progress or the uh, adjustments that higher education are making in terms of um, who they're, what, what they're looking at to determine someone's readiness for the next level. Our school district made a pretty significant change this past summer in adopting new vision cards um, because when we say we want all students to be ready for the next level of life well what is what does that mean it not every student needs to take the ACT right. not all students are going to a four-year university or college we still want to track that we want to know how students are doing on ACT and we want to benchmark that against the state and we want to see how our Mankato students are doing but we also know that some students um, are much more in line with their thinking of taking, say, the AccuPlacer. And that's a that's an exam that students take um, as they enter into a community college oh, okay. um, or two-year um, college. Uh, so we want to start not only collecting, we've always collected those scores, but we want to report those. How are we benchmarking against state? How are we benchmarking against local two-year colleges who say here are the the minimum and uh, the minimum scores that we would expect and how are Mankato kids doing we're also collecting ASVAB scores and that's the military exam for students going into um, a a career or uh, the uh, military life and so that's those are just examples of how we 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 have to make sure that we're continuing to diversify how we define readiness Um, big push of colleges and universities absolutely we want to make sure every student is ready for that but we also know that they're, every every student is different. My goodness, um, you know we've got over eight thousand students, eighty four hundred students within our system, and they're all, all of them are unique, and all will have different life paths. And our role and our responsibility is to prepare each of them for whatever they choose to do next. Have you noticed any increase in the dropout rate? I mean, that's always a concern. I mean, at the university level, it's called retention because right. you know you continue on, but in high school or, I guess. I guess we are you 16 when you drop out or or something like that. Has that had any effect because of COVID? Have, has that been affected? Yeah, the COVID, so far we haven't seen um, a, a drop. Um, okay. We measure dropout rates. Really, it's a reflection of our graduation rates. Mankato schools, East, West, Central, have stayed very strong okay. the last two years. Even through some really difficult times, um, our graduation rates have, have stayed strong um, and um, and we're really proud of those. What will be 
interesting for us to continue to work on, though, is thinking about students who maybe aren't ready to graduate right now, but maybe have been learning through COVID, say, in their 8th and ninth grade year or 8th, ninth, and 10th grade year or earlier, and has COVID affected their motivation, their enthusiasm, their inspiration to stick with this. Or even their base knowledge. I, you know, worry about losing because, you know, my child, one of them was in eighth grade during that time period. Yep. And, and I, I kind of consider it a lost year almost mm-hmm. because I know he didn't do all of his stuff. And normally he's a really motivated kid. Yeah. And I would say that our schools, especially, especially when the, when the school year started, it was ex- very noticeable about that. Okay. Students, in general, and this is a over this is a generalization, but yep, kids are coming back to us a little different. And usually, where our marker is or our benchmark at MEA that fall break, um, we weren't there. And so, where where we thought we would be at MEA took a little bit longer. I also have heard from more and more of our principals that now things are start we're starting to get into a groove, um, and. You know, thankfully, students are just so galling. So many of them are so galling resilient. Um, yep, COVID kind of backed them up a little bit and maybe turned them sideways, but uh, they're coming they're, back. Yep, they're they're getting back, and and I think especially in our schools, just the routine of going to school. It, yeah, huge passing different. time, lunch, playgrounds where friends, friends, um, yeah. interacting with adults in person. Right. Uh, all Big of those deal. those sorts of things that. We probably were taking for granted, and uh, now we realize just how important those are. Do you know the numbers in terms of how many students are out in general? I mean, a week per week, has it increased? Is it steady? Uh, related to COVID? Yeah. yeah. You know, with staff and students, I would say. Yeah, we especially in the last month, um, we are seeing numbers that we haven't seen since, well, al- almost at any time in the in the pandemic such as how how so this right now as as we're talking it's wednesday and we have um already because we collect information from parents and from kids and from staff we have over 100 people um within our system out with covid right now um we were when we started the school year we would maybe get to a dozen or two dozen uh by the end of the week and now here we are not even halfway through the week and we're well over 100 um, we've had op- nearly 700 people uh, infected since the start of the school year. And we also break that down by building and by, um, by grade band, so elementary, middle, and high school. And without question, the spread of COVID right now within our school district is in the elementary levels. Okay, because um, they're mostly non-vaccinated. Right. We, we do get vaccination rates for all of our schools. Um, and currently our K-5 schools are at about, and, and this is understandable, we're, we're at about 28%. Well, that just kind of started though. Recently. Just started, yeah. yep. So 28% in our elementary schools. We're a little over 50% in our middle schools and we're getting really close. I think we're at like 60-ish percent in our high schools. And so, again, the, the elementary students... Hopefully, we'll eventually catch up, but uh, it's really in those unvaccinated populations that um, the virus, whether it's Delta, and, and and we're all just kind of waiting to see what happens here with Omicron, um, and so fully vaccinated, and then as, as we're all learning, six months later, probably important for us to get those booster shots as well. Yeah, and how about your, your faculty, staff, I guess you call them staff, yep. uh, teachers, instructors, uh, do you know how many percent of those are or aren't, or are they required to? Yep, our vac- will they be? Yep, our vaccination rate with our staff. We have over, I think we, uh, you know, we usually say with 
part-time and, and people who are kind of in and out, we're over 1,200 staff members. Um, we're well over 90% vaccinated. Um, we asked earlier this year for people to either provide their vaccination status or to engage in regular testing. And so we're really confident in those numbers. At this stage in the game, um, we are awaiting the uh, OSHA ETS, um, which is requiring employers with over 100 um, employees to either mandate vaccine or mandate testing. That is now caught up in the courts. And so, uh, but we will obviously fall into that um, system. And so we've been messaging with our staff that we're in a little bit of a holding pattern. Um, nearly, I mean, almost everyone in our staff, it doesn't affect because they're vaccinated. But uh, there will be people who um, have chosen not to vaccinate who will then have to make a decision about whether they want to do that um, pathway or engage in regular testing if if the um, OSHA rule is, is upheld. At school, is there on-site testing or not? We don't, we don't do any testing ourselves, but we have access to a tremendous amount of test materials. And so our families, our, our kids, and our staff have the ability to test every week um, through a saliva test that they take with them. So does everybody get that, or just if you request one, how does that work? Yep, it's volunteer. So all of our health offices have those. Um, families are, um, are always invited to register their students to pick up a test. They can uh, take any this, day, anytime. Uh, we do them on Mondays. Okay. And so students can pick them up, uh, bring them back on Tuesday. They get sent to the lab, and most of our kids and our staff have their results by Thursday. Okay. We don't have a lot of participation in that. Um, so we really, but but that's really important. I mean, that's a PCR test and um, highly reliable. Uh, we do know that as we move now into the winter and uh, into January, Department of Education is providing additional test options. Um, and so we will be sending home rapid tests um, with kids and uh, with us, with staff members who have COVID-like symptoms. Um, and also, and, and this is where I think utilizing the school's resources are so important because I don't know if you've done this, but if you go to Walgreens or CVS and go pick up a COVID test, they aren't cheap. And well, so you have to pay for them. You have there. to pay. For, yeah, I did you not do. Realize that. Yep. So if you're if you have a student in the public school system um, and they have they are either a close contact or if they uh, have COVID-like symptoms, that's really it's a it's a, not only important but it's a good deal too to access the the maps tests. Okay, good to, good to know because yeah. I had some symptoms, cough and headache and those sorts of things. I went in on Monday. I went to the Mankato Urgent Care Clinic and and did it. It was it was negative, but it was the rapid test and stuff. And they say most of the time they don't do the rapid test, but right um, because I don't know, I'm not sure why if it's more expensive or what the deal is. But um, it was it was negative, and you know I'm fine and everything. But it's it's the kind of thing where I didn't realize you had to to pay for those when you went to some of those other places. So with the kids at school. And I know here at MSU, we've got a similar type program right. going on. So. Right. And here in town, I mean, the armory here in town um, does provide testing through the Department of Health. Um, but especially if but st- student and staff access to tests right through Mankato Area Public Schools is okay. probably the fastest um, for um, and the most cost effective as well. All right. And so we talked about this earlier. We're almost done, out of time here. But you said the district is considering stay-at-home mandate, but we won't know probably until... You said January. Yeah, so so we're we, we have a COVID command team that meets every Thursday. So we'll meet again tomorrow at noon. Talk about plans with them, and that that command team is made up of Nicollet County, Blue Earth County, um, physicians within our community, epidemiologists from the Department of Health. Um, we have really relied from the beginning on their expert advice um, to tell to help guide our decision making. Um, 
and they are they're very appreciative of the fact that these decisions aren't being made in a bubble but you know when, like we talked about earlier when you're making decisions about quarantining students and requiring them to stay home that has an impact on families right a and lot so we, of people and we better make darn sure that that's the right move at the right time um, because it isn't just about school it's about um, how it's affecting others as well families yeah the right. whole work everything mm-hmm. yeah well anything else you'd like to mention the things that are going on in the school district you think is important that people might need to know well, right now you know amidst covid it's still uh we're still having a heck of a year um there's so many great things i mean just this week holiday concerts are coming back and um, we've had some in great person. in person okay. you bet um uh, sports seasons in the fall wrapped up academic and athletic activities in the winter are ramping up now and um just a really exciting time to be in schools even even during a pandemic. But, uh, no, I always appreciate being with you, Karen, and I'm looking forward to next month. Do you guys have a mask mandate? I know my kids always wear their masks at school, but um, not everybody does, they said. Yeah, we have a ma- our requirement is at the K-8 right now. Okay, not and, in and, high school, yep, that's and, why. Okay. Yep, and that was put into place because the board wanted to make sure that those schools, um, students and staff in those buildings had the ability to be fully vaccinated, and then also because community transmission is so high. That's something that the board will re- um, will revisit but at the 912 at our three high schools, um, masks are strongly recommended, right. but they are not required. Great. Well, it's always great to have you in here chatting us, telling us what's new. And COVID has been the, the topic of discussion it sure for has so been. many things. And yes. I can't wait till we can talk about <laughs> some more other things. That's right. That's right. Well, happy holidays, Karen. You too. Thanks. So we've been talking with Dr. Paul Peterson, the superintendent of D- School District 77. That's the Mankato School District. Thank you very much. Thank you.